Hi everyone, this is Yarek Samoilov with another episode of N Designer, and today our guest is Abhay Tavaragiri. He's a silicon architecture designer at Intel, and we will try to figure out what it is to be a designer of a silicon. If you were ever curious how it all works, you might get the basic understanding here with a with a couple quite interesting insights in my opinion. Enjoy the show. Can you explain what is your work looks like? Sure. So I think, uh, yeah, <laughs> that's the part, right? Let's see where I can start with. And I'm sure once we start, I think we can then have a bunch of follow-up questions, right? Based on what I say. So yeah, I think probably everyone is familiar with, let's say like an Intel Pentium processor, right? Or like a Intel Core i7, i9, those kind of processors. So, uh, so a processor, when they talk about a processor, if you were to ever open up the motherboard on your CPU, right? Like just like the CPUs which we use and just open up the motherboard, you'll see like a bunch of different things there. Apart from the processor, there are a bunch of other things on the motherboard. Together, it is called a system on chip. The whole thing is called a system on chip, SOC. So that's a common term we use like as part of our work, which is called SOC, system on chip. So that means like chip. So all these again like like please ask questions when you want to but like a processor is in like our lingo in semiconductor lingo it's also called a chip so a chip manufacturing is like another term for just like the uh, like the actual processor or anything i see integrated circuit anything which you can manufacture like uh, which ends up being like um, what do you call a hardware component is basically an integrated circuit the definition of integrated circuit would be anything which is hardware looking which actually serves some kind of uh, function. There is some functionality associated with it. Obviously, the most complicated one would be a processor, but uh, uh, at a high level, that's what like an integrated circuit is, right? Like uh, any circuit, which is, and by circuit, I mean like for a layman term, it would be anything which you can just see in terms of a hardware component, which is doing some action, right? So the idea is on a motherboard, like you have a bunch of different components. Processor is pretty much like the mother, like the main piece, right? It's the brain of the whole thing, which is doing all the computation. But then there are a bunch of other components there, which need to interact with the processor to make sure that the whole thing works. A couple of important ones, one of them is memory. So you obviously need memory for the instructions to be stored and loaded and things like that. So that's the memory part of it, which is the DRAM and the SRAM, which we call, right? So sometimes when you buy a laptop, you'll say, what is the RAM on it, right? So that's like the memory associated with it. And then also the hard disk, that's like the external memory. So that's one component. And also there's something called PCI Express. Now I'm sure, have you heard of the term PCI Express before? So yeah. PCI Express is like, so there are cards which you can see on the motherboard or there are slots where you can insert a card. And then that's a card which has its own functionality, which will be interacting with the processor. So long story short, so my, you were asking for my role, right? So I work on the design of a block, which actually sits between the core, which is core is used interchangeably with the processor. So whatever is a processor, you can also call it a core. So the core is the, like the brain. And then like the PCI card will be something which an external customer will plug in. So the interaction between the card and the core needs to have there has to be some functionality implemented between the two of them so that's where so that is an ip which we design at intel and i work on the design of that particular ip 
so ip is intellectual property so any block which you feel overall serves enough of a functionality that it can be called its own standalone thing right that you can quantify that this block serves like processor okay that's one component but apart from a processor uh, at an abstraction level where you are comfortable saying that okay this block in itself has enough of a functionality that it is doing this so we call that an intellectual property so pci express has like a controller design so there is a controller which sits right next to where the card will get connect to it then we have the processor and in between is a block which i work on so uh, so the design of that block and when i say design it's all completely hardware right because everything on that motherboard what you see are all hardware components so they are designed uh, so when we say uh, when i say i work on the design of it i work on the hardware design so let me maybe extend that a little bit just to give a bit of context right as to what we mean by hardware design in general so the what chip that comes out like if you ever look again going back to if you ever look at a motherboard if you just google like core i7 and look at the images you'll see like a square shaped thing which comes up which is the hardware component so finally the work which i do to how it ends up being like that particular component there is a big cycle you go through okay mm-hmm. so i work or right at the very beginning so there is something called specification which basically there are architects who decide what exactly needs to be the functionality of that particular block right so let's say the block which i am doing there would be an architect who would be deciding okay this block what is it supposed to do so at a high level what we are saying is that that block needs to connect to the pci controller on one side and to the uh, processor on the other side so they will define okay this is how the functionality of that block will be once they define it that's where our team comes in we actually translate that into actual hardware code so we do coding so the difference is like most software engineers you are using c c++ java some of those software languages right so hardware has specific languages the two primary ones are vhdl and verilog those are the two primary hardware languages so when it, yeah <laughs> so i think uh, so whenever the specification needs to be converted into an actual hardware component after the specification is done which is nothing but a pdf right like which the architecture is writing and eventually it's a pdf which details these are all the different aspects of like this block so once we start mm-hmm. coding when we are translating it into code and that's where my role comes in we actually actually take that and translate that code into verilog or vhdl so most of the industry uses verilog and there is actually a new variation of verilog which is called system verilog so it's system verilog is the uh, language which we use extensively to actually code that particular block so that it can be uh, converted into hardware so one clarification for maybe people who are more familiar with software whatever functionality which uh, uh, the architect says that okay this is the functionality you need you could potentially also code that in software but the point is that software is not a language which you can eventually translate onto a chip or something right so that is why we need to code it in a language which because there are a bunch of steps which happen post that to eventually lead to it being converted into a chip okay so my role starts uh, there so once so we need to make sure that okay whatever the architect says that has been successfully implemented into hardware and then we also write a bunch of tests so mine is the design team and then there is a corresponding validation team the validation team will make sure that whatever you have written actually meets the spec so they are doing they are running the tests to ensure that the functionality is as per this and whatever process i'm describing even though i'm describing it for my block it holds true for any hardware block okay even for a processor it would be the same thing so there would be an architect who would define this is what the processor needs to do and then someone would go and code it 
and then there would be a validation team who will verify that okay the core is behaving as as expected once the functionality is done so this is technically called the front end side of things so you could break hardware design down into front end and back end okay so the front end is this part architecture design validation then we go into something called back end which is not something which is my area of expertise but i have a high level idea those are the nitty gritty details so now you have a code which has been written and it has been functionally validated that it is fine apart from that though because eventually all that code has to fit onto that very small chip right that microprocessor that you see or any other subsequent components because of that you need to make sure that there are a bunch of other specifications which are met with association with that code to for it to be able to convert to a successful hardware chip okay so there are a bunch of other steps which need to run post the design there is something called static timing analysis there is floor planning routing uh, layout clean up drc errors and things like that so again i don't want to go into that many details there but at a high level what that means is there are a bunch of other steps you need to do to eventually come up with a database which is the uh, end of the pre-silicon design cycle okay so we divide it into pre-silicon and post-silicon silicon again i'm using interchangeably because the whole process of making a chip uses silicon so that's why pre-silicon means that everything before the chip has actually been manufactured so my role is right at the beginning of pre-silicon then there are a, it's in the front end part of pre-silicon then there is a back end part of pre-silicon once that is done you ship that off to the fab okay fab is another term for a foundry or a factory which produces the chips which will eventually manufacture those chips and that's where so again like i don't want to slightly digressing just to give picture people overall idea right so there are a bunch of companies who do just the front end part of this okay they will do it till the part where the uh, design is ready for it to be manufactured by the fab so intel obviously does it like qualcomm nvidia uh, amd there are a bunch of these companies all of them do this front end part of the design okay and then there are few companies which exclusively do just the manufacturing on the chips i don't know if you heard right. of a company called tsmc so there is a company called tsmc and then there is a company called global foundries and then there is ibm ibm mm -hmm. again obviously does some of its own design so tsmc is pretty much the major foundry all they do is just manufacture chips all the time and they so, manufacture all kind of chips they manufacture all kind of so for example apple iphones ipads macbooks all the chips which apple does are all manufactured by tsmc same thing nvidia tegra like all the gaming chips which nvidia is making all of them are done by tsmc amd chips or all amd processors like the ryzen and those chips ryzen processors are all done by tsmc so tsmc is pretty much the largest foundry in the world right now and intel till a few years back was their competitor intel has slipped behind a little bit so for intel designs though primarily intel does its so intel has its own foundry so intel does not actually ship them off to tsmc for the majority of the cases they do so we do the design but it actually goes to an intel foundry instead of like a tsmc or something but what so now coming back to i'm hoping we want to cover as many aspects right so i don't want to stick to one thing the announcement which came like last week from intel right so that is basically they are going to build two new foundries like this which actually make the chips in arizona okay and they are potentially hoping because the foundry is like a completely different aspect right so they are hoping that by building those foundries 
companies like Apple, Facebook, and these uh, for now Facebook, Amazon, Google, even all these software companies are actually doing some or the other kind of hardware chips. So they are doing specialty hardware chips, but they are doing that, and all of them pretty much get it manufactured by either TSMC or Global Foundries. So Intel is hoping. and because they are technically most of those companies are not us companies right so and in general today's market there is a chip shortage like apparently like a lot of the automobile companies they are unable to meet the demand of the number of chips which they need for their new automobiles so because of that intel is seeing an opportunity there that they feel that if they have fabs even like companies which are technically competitive not exactly competitors but like for apple it designs its own mac chips for macbooks and intel designs chips for laptops so technically they are a competitor in one way right but they still don't right, mind right. doing the corresponding uh, uh, chips for them in a foundry okay so mm-hmm. again like lot of different things but to summarize like uh, there are companies which just do chips like tsmc global foundries there are companies which just do the front end design like intel qualcomm nvidia amd and then intel is kind of like at the mix of both where it does both the front end design as well as it as it has its own fabs okay right so yeah your particular job is to architect so your chip sits between pci express and core so okay and just it... to clarify it's not the chip it's a block so eventually it's a block. the block which i work on does not get translated into a chip of its own that block is sitting with a bunch of other things and everything together gets manufactured as a chip i see block is like a it's like module think of it as a module or something like uh, so it's more for the purpose of like because this in itself like the uh, soc is huge okay uh-huh. so the processor is one major component of it but apart from the processor as i was telling you there are a bunch of other components so think of it as one of the major functionality blocks which needs to talk to the core but it will all be part of the same chip so this one in isolation is not going to be manufactured as its own chip so I we see. will take my block the 10 teams are working on 10 different blocks of which one of the blocks is also the processor and all of them together make like the soc which is the system on chip and that yeah. is what comes out comes back as one chip and is it all, it all lives in that like square one that big, you put yes 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 one big square aha uh-huh, i see and so you said it since it's architecture it means you you change structure of it right you change connections to other blocks yes yes that's where so whatever the interaction let's say my block has to talk to a block above me and a block below me the exact connectivity between the blocks is decided at my level when i'm doing the design that's where i'm deciding how those are getting connected aha uh-huh. and what kind of requirements maybe you get is it you need to get to certain speeds or true so that is one of the requirements but before we get to speeds the functional basic thing is the functionality right okay what you need to do so again like just i don't want to go into too many technical details but let's say pci express like the protocol pci express is a protocol okay it decides how packets navigate from like external world onto the core okay so we need to follow that protocol so To, and that is a industry standard spec right so if you just search for pci express gen 5 it will open up like a spec on how pci express is supposed to look at similarly ddr4 ddr5 these are specific protocols which how memory is supposed to interact so these are all standard protocols which everyone in industry follows so the functionality of the block is kind of based on that okay so 
since I have to talk to the PCI controller, I need to make sure that everything which the PCI spec says is followed in my particular block. So, so that's kind of so first thing before like the speed and everything we need to ensure that the functionality which the architecture has defined is maintained and which would involve things like how does the core need to because I was telling you right so one is like it comes from the, the packet or think of it like an information is coming from the PCI card and it is getting sent to the processor and also the reverse can happen where the processor sends something it needs to talk to the PCI express and we need to convert it into something so think of it at a, in a very layman's terms PCI express is one protocol and the core understands a different protocol so our block converts one into the mm -hmm. other so the right. architect would have written like what are the things you need to do to make sure that it is a successful conversion i would assume that pci express is like always well it's always used for same things it's like video graphics or some modems or whatever it is sure sure mm -hmm, mm -hmm. why architecture changes oh so basically okay so then like let's say now the latest one i was working on we have the generation changes so pci express also if you see the spec every two years they come up with a new generation to increase the speed to increase the speed at which you can do the transfers so previously there was pci express gen 4 recently they came out with pci express gen 5 so we had to make sure that uh, the pci express obviously we make the changes so that we can meet the new speed and that is just again at a high level just to explain our block does a lot more than just like following protocol there are a bunch of things which come from the customer like other things because i want to stick to just pci express because it will be like easier to explain to the audience like what we are trying to do but just taking the pci express as an example like the spec changes from gen 4 to gen 5 so because of that we need to make sure that we are meeting the new specification so uh, that's one simple answer that uh, pci express if it changes generation we need to make sure that we are compatible with the new generation mm -hmm. I see. And so how many how many people involved in it in the making silicon? Huh, okay, uh, that's a very involved question. So, so just for my uh, yeah, so again, I, I don't even know how many are involved for finally the whole SOC. But I can tell you like for the block which I work on, uh, there are 10 people in the design side, which is 10 people similar to me who are doing like design work and then there are corresponding 10 people in the verification team who are actually involved in making sure that the, it's actually working fine right the functionality of the block is fine but as i was telling you an soc is there is a lot of blocks so and then there are separate teams who are just involved in making sure that they connect see because when we deliver our ip we deliver our ip okay a is the input b is the output it works fine but now at the final SOC level, that A input has to be connected to another block which is below it and the B output has to be connected to another block above it and eventually the whole SOC has to be connected like that. So there are dedicated teams. So in most of the companies who do pre-silicon, there are teams just meant for SOC. So you could break down design and verification into two aspects, IP design and SOC design. IP design is individual blocks design. SOC design is basically at the whole level where you are connecting everything together and then making sure that the whole of it makes sense because see when we do our design we assume certain things that okay this is how the input will come at A and then we guarantee that the output at B is this but eventually when they connect the block below us 
that's when they'll verify that okay a is actually coming as expected right so that's the soc concept so there is an ip design and there is an soc design so when i was giving you the number for an ip design of a decent complexity you need around 20 10 people for design 10 and you have to also keep in mind that we are doing multiple projects at once right so not all 10 people are doing one project so they might be doing multiple projects but ballpark figure ip design 5 to 10 people for the design 5 to 10 people for the verification assuming it is a complicated ip there are some ips which are not as complicated as ours and there like maybe two to three people can get the design done maybe two people can get the verification done and then you need a whole other team at soc who are ensuring that all the different blogs are plugged in mm-hmm. together and so you were talking about you were talking about uh programming languages and so some programming languages they allow you to talk to database and then uh, then get a value that other language renders it in uh, on device or on browser your work is I've, I I guess I don't know exactly how CPU work but to me it like it's yeah it operates with the electrons yeah so i think uh, yeah at a high level have you heard of this terminology called 7 nanometer yes. 10 nanometer 14 nanometer okay so that's what so that's the terminology which comes from the foundry okay so what you supp- and in essence I, most people would probably have taken, I don't know, even computer science graduates, maybe you take this course called electronics, where you talk about the concept of a transistor, a CMOS transistor. Okay, so there's something called a CMOS transistor, which is the building block for an entire silicon, for finally a chip, right? There is a transistor, which is the building block for the chip. Okay, so that transistor has something called and again the interested people should go read about what a transistor is but the transistor has something called a gate okay so the gate of the transistor so there is a drain and a gate and a source so the uh, gate of the transistor the length of the gate is what decides this whole concept of what is the process technology that a particular uh, chip is being designed on okay So you have, when I say 22 nanometer technology, that basically means that whatever is the chip which is getting designed there, the transistors on that are, the gate on those transistors is 22 nanometer in length. Okay. So when you say 22, 14, 10, obviously that number is decreasing, which means that the transistor is getting smaller in size. Okay. So because the transistor is getting smaller in size, in the same area, you can accommodate more transistors. And because of that, the more the transistors, think of it that every transistor, in in a sense, does some kind of functionality for your design. So the more transistors you have, the more you can get work done on your processor or whatever it is that you're doing. So that's why we try to keep reducing the uh, technology because you can fit in more and more transistors. Okay, and then to answer your question, so what exactly is the relation to like, let's say the language we are writing to, right? So yes, that's the yeah, difference between, it... yeah, so that's the difference between like a C++ language and why Verilog and System Verilog are a hardware description. So you call them HDL or hardware description languages. And the thing is like whenever the, so let's say there is a, obviously every language has a syntax, right? So you write the syntax in a given format. And then when I told you about front end and back end, right? So front end part is like you write the code and it is verified. The backend tools are responsible for taking that code and eventually converting it 
into a bunch of transistors. Okay. In very simple terms, whatever I'm writing in a code eventually is getting converted into a bunch of transistors and connections between them. And that eventual database is what is going to the foundry. So uh -huh. TSMC or someone, the database they get is nothing but in again, very simple terms, just a collection of transistors, which is serving some functionality. So it's not, a, so your code does not live inside the chip. No, our code does not live inside. Our code has got converted into transistors and that transistor is the chip. So that transistor is even, so the chip, so if you ever read about a Pentium or something, they'll say it has these many million transistors. Yes, yes. So mm -hmm. that many million transistors. So transistor is, so eventually some, my code, let's say the code out of that whole chip, the code which I wrote is maybe, 100,000 transistors among the 2 million transistors in wow. the chip. Maybe my part of the code is 100,000 transistors or 10,000 transistors. Oh, wow. So, so that's the whole concept there. So that like code, everyone, the most of the digital design people who are doing, they will, the hardware description language, you write the code in eventually through the bunch of steps, which are there in backend. And most of these tools are automated, which will do the conversion. It gives to a stage where you get transistors, which is what then the foundry eventually designs. Oh, that's that's so cool. That's very interesting. I never I never understood the the that idea why there is yeah, six million transistors or whatever, mm -hmm. how, how many there. Mm -hmm. And I, I never knew that so basically the code that you write decide how many transistors absolutely absolutely yeah oh wow code, so code we write plus like some of the optimizations which the backend tools do so our code is eventually getting translated into transistors but then also like the tools which take the code and eventually convert into the transistor they also have power in terms of reducing or increasing like the transistors based on some optimizations which they can do so, so can you write a code that basically exceeds all like every or every possible idea of uh, number of transistors like can you write yeah yeah so so that's one thing so at the beginning of a project uh when you are making a chip right so the back-end team who are there right they operate with certain goals with respect to three key parameters which is power area right and speed okay so for all three of them you need to stay within a limit. It cannot I be see. possible that you just keep writing. And that's the whole difference between software and hardware, right? With software, as long as your code works, you are golden. But with hardware, code, your code and everything you've written in the code is great. And even if it is functionally fine, the backend team can come back and tell you that even though your code is working, it is not feasible to actually convert it into what we need for the project. Mm -hmm. Because they are operating under certain constraints, right? They know that the chip cannot be bigger in size than this. It cannot consume this much more power than this, right? So, and we need this much amount of performance. So it needs to operate. So whenever like a core i7, they say operating at two gigahertz or three gigahertz. So we need to make sure that the code we are writing makes sure that the functionality is fine. But it is also fine at that particular clock frequency. It's not good that, okay, it works fine at 500 megahertz, but it will not work fine at two gigahertz. So those are the three aspects. And this is one of the major challenges of the design we do is time to time with the design is working fine and all, but the backend team comes and tells us that, okay, you have exceeded the area. 
area means somehow you need to reduce your code right because the more code you have written the more transistor it is converting to area is actually like physical area in physical area yes so uh-huh. so because they are operating with eventually the chip is going to be this size and out of this chip for your particular block we have assigned this much area so your block cannot exceed this much area and sometimes we write code which becomes more so then we have to think of other ways to write that code because it's increased in area so that's one aspect and second aspect is again the power right sometimes we write the code where it works fine and all but they will say that oh okay it's consuming too much power so then we have to again see ways how we can reduce the power in the code and all of these are so some of the optimizations you can do in the back end tools but a lot of that you have to make sure that you potentially have to change the code so that is why for coding i'm sure even in software you have coding guidelines which you follow but for us some of the guidelines which we have are specifically for making sure that the area doesn't balloon up and the power doesn't like increase like crazy and do you know like which function does okay when you write a function you know this function going to take no it's not as simple as a function like so obviously so functions are not that common like yeah, so obviously sometimes if you have a dedicated thing you need to do uh there is a functionality you use but let's say i need some storage okay so there is a packet on which i'm operating i have created a storage where i have stored something and i want to come back later and operate onto it or whatever right so i instantiate a fifo or some kind of a storage element there so i keep adding storage elements wherever i need and eventually every storage element takes up some space right so eventually and plus like the other surrounding code i am writing every code is eventually getting converted into transistors as i was telling you before right so when i have written that code the backend team comes and tells me that okay you exceeded the area then i need to decide whether all the places where i have put the storage whether it makes sense and then i have to go evaluate okay maybe in some cases the storage was not needed or maybe i added three different storage elements but maybe all of them are getting used at different time so i can maybe use the same one storage element for all three purposes because they are not getting used at the same time uh-huh. so these and are that... the optimizations you need to kind of think of so while that's what so while writing it's not very easy and first you want to make sure that you write as clean code as possible and whatever is the basic functionality right with once the backend team does an initial analysis and comes back and tells you that's where you get your ballpark range okay based on how i have written this code if it is within the area okay seems like most of it i have done fine but if it is exceeding area that's when you need to go start exploring where ex- and the backend team can tell you in your module like which points seem to be like the ones which are occupying more area so there you need to go and then do an analysis whether you have written the code in the most efficient way or you can go change the way the code is mhm and how long does it take to validate your front end code into back end code so they can give you a result ah uh, it's uh, generally so we uh if i were just like well, let's say i was designing one feature in the block and i wanted to so let's say i took 4 weeks to do the design and then i just want to get an idea just by this feature whether there was a significant impact to area right so just that aspect it's like within 2 to 3 weeks you can generally get the feedback back 3 weeks yeah oh because the tools run for a long time i mean like uh, generally i mean like again like depends on the size of the block there are some smaller blocks which you can get a feedback within a couple of days but like some of the blocks which we work on like are pretty complicated so the run time of the tool is uh, directly proportional to how big the block is right and how many transistors you get eventually get synthesized to so the bigger the block the more time the tool takes to actually figure out how much is the area and then it reports back uh uh-huh. 
and do you do you so when they is it like three weeks or four three weeks let's say and then they yeah, they came back to you and you is there any time when you shocked like oh i need to redo a lot oh yeah yeah, yeah yeah it happens a lot of time uh and then yeah and that's what right then you had and then there is a compromise going on it right? sometimes you have to convince them that okay because even the backend team at their end they will try to be pessimistic right so even if like let's say the area goal for them is 100 they don't want to go beyond 80 for example so even if our design reaches 80 they'll be like oh, okay this is too much so then there is some kind of a compromise you need to talk to them because there are some cases where you can change your design but there are some cases where you are not left with any option right so then you need to come up with a compromise and definitely it happens sometimes you are shocked not just with respect to area even with respect to power right so you have written something and then you are come back and told okay it's consuming too much power so then you need to go think okay how can i reduce the power on this and all so it happens it's pretty common the whole front end back end uh, uh, handshake and uh, it's one of the pretty major components i would say in pre-silicon because designers can do one thing but if it cannot be eventually converted onto a chip it is pointless so that's where i think you need to be very clever and this is where i think as you get more experience in design you can design a code preemptively in a better way you beforehand know that okay these are the problems which the backend team can encounter so you try to design a code better so i think this is where experience counts i think people coming fresh out of college for them it might not be that easy to figure out they might be able to write good code but code which also is something which the backend team uh, will be able to synthesize that takes time like to master i see and after after how, how much work do you actually have to get rid of sometimes um i would say like not a lot i think it's never a case where you fundamentally like there is a feature which you coded and then suddenly because they said that oh you say that okay the feature cannot be done that's never an option but i would say like it's not like in my experience at least uh, at least 70 to 80 percent of your code you don't have to touch it again so it's maybe like maybe 10% or 20% of your work. And that is also I'm saying in major cases, 10% uh, or 20% of your work, you have to redo it to uh, like make sure that the backend team is happy. Okay, not bad. That's not, not bad. too bad, yeah. Yeah, okay. And so do you have to do like many, do you have to do many architectures many for many chips or? So at least in Intel, I think this is a pretty well-publicized model. It is called the TikTok model, where like in one model, they make sure that the process technology remains the same, which basically means that, uh, are you familiar with the concept of what is a microarchitecture? Uh, yeah, I guess. I, okay. I guess. Is, so is the one that are on phones? Is that micro? Oh, no, no. So I know. So, so architecture would be like at a very high level. This is what the architect wants you to do, right? But uh -huh. microarchitecture is like the nitty-gritty oh, details. Oh, microarchitecture. So, yeah. Okay. So, so microarchitecture is like the, how exactly will you end up doing that? So that is a PDF. You convert it into this. Okay. So for our work, sometimes between two projects, nothing much changes as far as microarchitecture is concerned. Okay. So there, then the work between two different so that's what i was saying so from let's say project a and then there is a project b so between a and b if there is not a microarchitecture change then that means that there is not going to be a fundamentally a lot of differences but there are some new features which you will need to implement but they are restricted to certain areas so then the work will not be that much i mean like when i say that much it will still be a decent amount but it is not like a big work where it's almost like a new project 
but then you go from B to C and in C there is a new micro architecture. That's like a completely different beast where you are basically starting from scratch or you're doing a bunch of things which you need to whatever you had done in project A, you can maybe take some of the learnings into project C, but a lot of it you need to write from scratch or new model. Uh -huh. So most times our team is working on two to three projects at one time and some people are involved in and so I think I did not finish my thought with respect to I think uh, when I was talking about silicon right so once it goes to the once it goes to the foundry then the chip has to come back from the foundry okay once like the, a test no no so I was telling you right like so in the pre-silicon we have the design part then there is the validation then there is the backend part and eventually you come up with a database which is sent to TSMC or like an Intel foundry then after a few weeks the foundry gives you the actual chip back they will manufacture and give you that actual square shape thing they will give you back now nine times out of ten like the very first iteration of a chip very rarely works because no matter how much verification you do on the front end side there can be some issues either the manufacturing was not proper or there might have been bugs because you can try your best to catch co bugs but maybe you missed catching a bug right you did not think of a particular scenario so then when the chip comes back there is something called post silicon because now the silicon has come back and there is a whole team which is dedicated and that's all happens in labs so where the team sits in labs and tests whether the chip is actually working as it is supposed to work okay mm -hmm. so some of our team is all the time involved in some post silicon work because whatever was the one because one chip would always have come back from the foundry so some people are always dedicated working for that chip and then some people are working on the next generation which is still in the design stage so that mm -hmm. is what so generally you are asking and then maybe some people are working on the definition of the new project so that's why i was saying like potentially people could be working on three different things one team one part of the team could be working on a project which has already come back which has the silicon and you're trying to make sure that the silicon is actually working the second person is working on the execution of the next project and the third person is working on the definition of the next project so i see and the project would be always different um, series of a like i9 uh, again okay so there in intel like fundamentally we have like when as far as processor design there are two main things right there is client and there is server so all the client stuff is basically the ones which go into laptops and chromebooks and those kind of things right because they are called like uh, they are like the ones which are um, uh, they are called the client ones and then you have the servers which is the uh, bigger processors which go into the data centers like so mm -hmm. all the like for example microsoft azure oh, or right. amazon web services they have they all these cloud right like, yeah they don't because fundamentally the client one is supposed to be low power because a laptop should not be getting too hot right so that's why the client one is supposed to be a little bit low power and with a laptop you don't need that much computation right i mean like it is only a laptop whereas with a data center you can imagine the kind of computation which goes on it needs to be a lot lot more computationally intensive and you don't care about power that much obviously if you can save power it is great but for a data center chip the efficiency and the computation power is a lot more important than the power so that is why fundamentally client and server teams are actually different and i work on the server side of things so i see our and project you have like it, it's probably not as 
well known as a client war because yeah everybody compare i9 i7 sure yeah but i think yeah again i think maybe for people who are not familiar with the hardware side of it i agree most of the people know the pentium before and the core i7 i9 but i think uh, for people who are a little bit into servers and all they might have heard of this concept of ice lake so sky lake was i think the previous big uh, um, uh, what do you call uh, the server product and now mm-hmm. it's ice lake is the one which is i think just now coming into the market soon and sometimes they actually use the same name for both the client and the server product even though they are separate products i think if i remember correctly sky lake was also a client processor also maybe i am wrong but sometimes they use the same name or ice lake definitely there was a client version also so anyway so but yeah i agree like for a layman's term maybe and in a best buy for example people who are working they are all selling laptops right so they don't really know like what's going on with the server so day to day people i would say yeah the processor nomenclature or the client nomenclature will make more sense than a server one so like on the client side you have like let's say i5 i7 i9 mm-hmm. and whatever zeon whatever mm-hmm. and like there is five maybe six of them mm-hmm. and on server side you have much more because you have do you have much more or it's no, also no, like no, limited? No, 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 no. It's pretty similar. I mean, like we have one lead product at a given time, which is in the market. And then we have a next generation one. There might be variations here and there, but compared to, it's pretty similar to how the core is. I mean, like, you know, sorry, in the client is in that there'll be a lead product and then there'll be a next lead product on either a new technology or the same technology with a new microarchitecture. So, and by the way, Xeon you were mentioning is actually the server. The Xeon is server product. It's server, yeah. yeah. Okay. And it is it like every year? Uh, like how long does it take? Yeah, I think do? so. I think Intel's uh, 10 nanometer uh, difficulties are well known. I think with the 10 nanometer fab process, we were uh, we had some issues getting like the yield okay from the foundry. So because of that, I think between the previous Sky Lake and Ice Lake, there was actually a gap of a few years. But otherwise, you expect it to be every year or every other year at the best. So is that like? um the end of your project or no no so our project supposed to end much before when it actually comes out into the market our thing should have ended like six to eight months before that uh, so okay, I, what i mean is like your so your current project uh it, it's next generation silicon essentially mm-hmm. correct correct yes and if you're working on three of them what the other two are no no so one of them so good question so i think whatever is in the so let's say ice lake is in the market today and i can use terms because these are terms which are publicly known ice lake is the one which is coming into the market like i think sometime soon the next generation is called sapphire rapids which is currently in the process of going through post silicon testing like we have already gotten the silicon back for it it is getting so i was telling you one part of the team is actually working on that then i am working on something called granite rapids which is the next generation after that after sapphire rapids so that's why you this because it it is a process even after the design for it it's a very long process because even the post silicon takes some time right like once as i was telling you even when the silicon comes back it you need a couple of iterations in the lab to clear all the bugs so it's not going to be working on the first uh, iteration of the first silicon you get back so you need to buffer some time for the fact that they're going to find issues when you are actually doing post silicon work so that's why one project has the post silicon going on the next has the execution going on and the one after that for which there is no name yet that is like in the planning phase so but if you think about it there are two products which we are working on right now both of which are not in the market yet right so 
that's very interesting i'm just curious when you get it back like when you get silicon back do you do you involved in testing too or so some people from always, the design yeah Sorry. if or it just doesn't work Sorry? at all is it like you said that if there's a problem it will mm-hmm. it won't work mm-hmm. is there a case where it works but you need to change something no no so it, there are the post silicon is almost like a completely different aspects on its own on its own it works but like they have to run it through a bunch of stress tests to make sure because eventually it goes to a customer and we want to try our best to make sure that the customer does not catch an issue right which we should have caught so over the years they have developed like a bunch of tests to bombard the chip to make sure that, see because it's not like it's works now but in two months it fails right like in, you can't say that in a laptop will suddenly start working off stop working after two months so you have to try to bombard it as much as you can so post silicon is an ongoing process like you just keep running things after thing and then like based on so there is a dedicated post silicon team who are responsible for it and then they are generally responsible to if a problem happens right let's say the chip is not behaving the way you're supposed to then what they do is like they have enough expertise to at least be able to narrow down among all the different blocks which are present on that chip which block the problem might be in and once they have narrowed down that okay if potentially the problem is in our block then they will contact one some person from our design team and the person who's responsible for the silicon uh, so there are, I was telling you right few people are involved just in post silicon work so one of them will then go help them to try to understand like what the problem is and whether it is a bug in our design and all and of obviously it is a bug we have to fix it and make sure that the next uh, next generation so we call these steppings of the product so a0 is generally supposed to be the very first stepping and then you have b0 c0 based on how many different times you need to manufacture it so the more the bugs you're finding the more times you will need to manufacture it again before you can get a final quality product right and it's also interesting your work is as i understand you cannot have multiple versions of your block like you cannot have um, version a option a option b option c and they all slightly different but maybe one is better in your opinion another is better in back-end opinion uh, you, how you come up you yeah. could do that the thing is though eventually to the foundry only one of them has to go i mean like so you can maybe just for the sake of your experimentation you can maybe keep two different models and try to give the backend team both of them and maybe backend team will tell you okay with model a the area is better but with model b the power is better so you can then choose which you want to give but eventually only one has to make it to the foundry so that you have to decide so Mm-hmm. yeah that's the difference you cannot really change it later yeah. or improve yeah. it later yeah. right and when you work on so you you work on current generation and next generation that doesn't have even name for example mm-hmm. how much structure or um ideas you get you you take from first to second uh so fundamentally like at least like since i've started working on this ip uh the role of the ip itself does so this no matter how many generations come the fundamental role of the ip remains the same it needs to talk to the pci controller one and it needs to talk to the core on the other side so the fundamental architecture of the block is never going to change unless like they come up with something radical where they are removing something or like they are doing something completely different so because the fundamental architecture of the block remains same 
majority of it we are actually able to take from one generation to another but based on what the architect designs decides this is the new feature which needs to come in into this new project like for the next generation and architects are getting this based on customer feedback right so the customer has used this they are like okay we are happy with this but this is something which you should be improving in the next generation so some and sometimes just by competitive analysis right maybe we don't do it but amd does it so then they need to make sure okay to be competitive we also need to do this feature so then the architecture decides that this is the feature and it's basically it's a case by case basis depending on how complex the feature is you can carry over maybe some part of the work a lot of the work from the previous generation or maybe none of it and you have to design it from scratch design it from scratch is generally rare but because the fundamental nature of the block is not changing but otherwise it basically is a case by case basis based on the how complex the new feature which we are wanting for the new project is it'll decide whether you need to completely re-architect or like do partial changes or do like an intermediate kind of thing in your work what is like what is the science behind it like the main science is it math or main side so math i would say is mostly on the processor side like processor is the one which is doing the calculations right so the core i5 or the i7 that is basically math like it's the one which is doing all the computation for me i would say at a very high level it is uh, uh, this network proto- networking right network protocol like we're making sure that a packet there is that tcp ip networking there's a networking layer protocol right where you need to make sure so there is a transaction layer and a link layer right at the beginning of the pci express so i would say the fundamental thing is maintaining the sanctity of the packet so whatever is the packet which comes in on the input you need to at a very high level you need to act as a conduit or a pipe to make sure that whatever came in reaches the core following all the guidelines which the pci express does so for us it is most about like make giving it a clean path and in there there are computations involved also but fundamentally as a block the operation is not like a mathematical operation like for core it is a mathematical operation eventually whatever you give to the core it is either an addition or a swap or like a subtraction or something like that here we do have to do computation but fundamentally at the block level it is making it's like a pipe mm-hmm it's data basically it's data yeah it's it's moving moving data moving from one place a to place b so the architect that uh, says like here is the here's the pdf with the requirements and the uh constraints mm-hmm. do they mm-hmm. is that person who come up with like probably there's somebody who telling them hey we need a new chip and who's that person right so i think that's the architecture team so architecture team in general in most design companies is supposed to be the most high profile team because they are the ones who are actually deciding eventually what is the one what is the thing which is going on to the chip right so obviously the senior management within the architects they are the ones who are plugged in both to the industry as well as to the customers to make sure that what is the customer need and what is the what is the competitor doing so those are i think the two driving factors and basically the architects are the ones making the decision so obviously they have like a whole group so it's not one person they'll have multiple brainstorming sessions among themselves they'll have people who are talking to customers they'll have people who are doing competitive analysis all the time and together these aspects plus architects in general they are knowledgeable about what is fundamentally changing so for example PCI Express is something which is coming from a third party team right PCI Express specifications there is a separate PCI SIG 
group. So when they come up with this new standard, let's say they come up with a six gen, PCIe Gen 6 is something which was recently published. Then the architects need to sit together and see, okay, PCI Express has changed. What do we need to do to make the change? So sometimes it is something which is already driven by a change which they are doing, right? So if PCI Express changes, the architect is forced to think about how do we incorporate this new change? So that is a driving factor and other things is just like customer requests and in, and uh, competitive analysis. I don't know, maybe it's, uh, maybe, I don't know if you're aware of it, but I'm curious. Do you think it's, they know what's next? Is it like creative that's, process? That's their job. Even? Yeah, yeah, that's their job. That's their, that's why they are paid. I think they're generally the higher paid people in most companies and that's their job to come up with. So architect, the role of an architect in a hardware design is supposed to be that. Like they need to know, they need to kind of try to predict, they need to, always think mm -hmm. of what can be done to improve the performance and sometimes it should not be driven by either a customer or by competitive analysis just by looking at the block it is they are supposed to keep thinking as to how we can make this better to either see there has to be some driver motivation right so either it'll reduce the power it'll reduce the area or it'll add a new feature which will make the job of life the customer easy so that's what they're constantly supposed to be thinking about. So that's the role of an architect because they are actually not doing any coding or they are not doing any execution. All they are doing is like doing all kind of analysis to make sure that this is a feature because see, you can't define a feature and then we start coding and after a few months we realize, okay, this feature seems impractical. Like it's not really something which is uh, possible to design. So that's where like the role of an architect will come into the scrutiny is that why is because the architect is kind of supposed to be an expert, right? So he's not supposed to come up with features which are not designable. So when a feature gets finalized, there is an interplay between the architect and the design team to make sure that whatever they are saying, we understand what they are saying and then we make sure that it seems feasible. But that's the role. The better the architect, the more they have thought about the feature they are requesting and the more details they have provided and the better it can be executed when it comes to our design team. Mm -hmm. So it is a little like creative. Oh yeah, job. definitely. It is, it is a creative process. Yes. This is interesting. And they, they, um, but I guess you don't want to go too far. Like you don't want to go three, four, five generations ahead because maybe competitors will change. Exactly. And that's the channel with architecture, right? So, and sometimes that's what happens between architecture and design also. From an architecture side, they are always coming up with, okay, we need feature A, feature B, feature C, feature D. And design team, we also need to prioritize sometime with the amount of resources we have and how much feasible it looks. You cannot keep agreeing always to, okay, they are saying ABCD, we'll do ABCD. So that's where a handshake happens between them. But yeah, you are right. The architecture needs to be clever in that they are not demanding a feature which is like two to three generations ahead, right? It only has to be an incremental uh, 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 improvement over the previous generation. It cannot be something where, and even if it is something they are defining and that's where architecture themselves, when they are defining a feature, they meet with a bunch of architects. There is a whole forum and people will ask questions as to why is this feature important? Why do we need to do this? And they need to be able to justify all that. And on top of that, prove that this is not something which is like completely impractical or impossible to do i guess just just to shift gear a little bit mm -hmm. so do you, have you seen apple m1 uh chip they talk about uh i have, I have not no i have not seen it i read a couple of reviews but i have not seen it 
I saw presentation. That's all I saw. Mm -hmm. And they explained before when they were using other chips, it was a more complex structure. Mm -hmm. It was different, I guess, blocks were talking to mm -hmm. other blocks and was mm -hmm. very complex. And they mm -hmm. simplify it, as they say, I guess. They put it all together somehow. Right. So... Did they, they make anything uh, extraordinary there or is just... So I think yeah, here it comes into a bit of, uh, I'll, I'll try to give a brief overview of, so it touches the concept of computer architecture, which is called the instruction set architecture. So there are two primary ones in the market. One is called reduced instruction set architecture and the other is called complex instruction set architecture. And the two main ones are x86 and ARM. So ARM is reduced instruction set, which basically means it is a lot simpler. Whereas the x86 is an Intel architecture, instruction set architecture, which basically means it is a lot more complicated. Now, what is the general claim is that because the Intel structure is more complicated for processes which are more compute intensive, which is mainly for servers, the complex instructions help give you better computational efficiency. Mm -hmm. But even the servers, which even the laptop processors, which Intel does are based on the x86 processor, x86 instruction architecture. Okay. Whereas the ARM architecture is what is used for most of the chips in mobile phones, for example, whether it is the Apple, because ARM, because it is reduced instruction set, it is a lot more power uh, uh, sensitive. So mm -hmm. any chip right. which is based on the ARM architecture is a lot more power sensitive, uh, power efficient than x86 so that is why things like phones or tablets where power you want to save right because you don't want the phone to get too of hot course, yes right their arm is used generally and for servers because computation is needed you use uh, x86 so till like last year the macbooks which intel used to do they were based on chips which intel used to provide them which was based on the x86 architecture because intel was doing x86 right so what Apple has done with the M1 is like they have created their own architecture using ARM, which is the reduced instruction set. So that is why they claim or it's a fact that if they have done it on ARM. So Intel's claim was that uh, if you are doing with ARM, you will not be able to get the same speed and the computation which you get. Obviously, you might save power, but for a laptop also, again, you have to trade a balance how much power versus how fast you want it to be. But what Apple is claiming with M1 is that even with ARM architecture, which is supposed to be power efficient, but not really computation efficient, they are able to get better speeds than what Intel was getting with x86. And so far, at least the surveys or the reviews I have seen, they seem to suggest that they have done a good job with the M1, even, even accounting for the fact that they have moved from x86 to ARM. So to answer your question, because fundamentally the processor which Apple has designed is on ARM architecture, whereas previously x86, previous MacBook processors were on the x86 architecture. That is why they claim that they have uh, simplified the architecture. I see. I see. Now it now it makes sense. Yeah. Uh, but I guess it's also not just uh, energy or computing. It's also because of complex architecture, it allows you to work with third party hardware. When if it's simple, I guess you cannot do that. Sorry, I didn't get that. Say that again. So if you have complex architecture mm -hmm. that allow you to work with PCI Express and all that, so you need extra block there, 
with ARM, you cannot do that. No, no, no. That, that's not unrelated. Even with ARM, you, should, you can work with PCI Express and all. So that is no relation. This is just like how efficient the processor would be. So the PCI Express and all are all like peripherals which talk to the core, right? Which is the processor. So what I was talking about, the ARM versus x86, that is primarily for the core. So everything around it is not really that different. It is primarily the core, which is either ARM based or it is x86 based. So the block which I would do in layman's terms would not really change that much whether it is ARM or x86 because it is just like the one which is interacting with PCI Express and the PCI Express is the same whether it is ARM or x86. Got it. Is it, is it, uh, going back to current, current generation and next generation, since mm -hmm. you know, when you're working on next generation, I guess you sometimes see that current generation that you make right now does not make sense. It, like the code you work on is like this code is better doing same thing but it's better uh not really i think the cadence is big enough that even if like let's say something in the new generation i've done like which is okay really good uh there is a reason why that feature by that time the previous generation is at a point where even and that's what right so architecture themselves are always like continuously evaluating to see like what are the new features they can uh, uh, like put into a new SOC so if it is a new feature which uh, architecture is proposing obviously that means that that feature was not in the previous product right so that is fine I think what you are probably alluding to is a feature which was present even in the previous product you think that maybe in the new product you that feature has you can code it in a better way so that is probably rare because we never have time to actually revisit an old feature right always there is a new feature to code in a new project so most of the time whatever you are doing is something which was not in the previous project so you cannot compare whether in the previous it was good or bad but you are right it is possible that from time to time you can run into while doing a review you have to touch a piece of code which was there previously also and you realize that oh previously it could have been done better but then there are some times where there is an option if like the previous product has still not reached a stage where it can reach the customer and there mm -hmm. is still another cycle which will go to the foundry before the chip is manufactured you can always take that code and port it back to the previous project also mm -hmm. interesting but i guess in that case you also have to do validation that it's all working. exactly exactly so that's the thing right because that previous project will be a lot more stable you need yes. to make sure now that the new code unless the tests don't change at all you can then still just plug that code and run your regression suite and make sure that nothing changes but otherwise if that make help that also involves changes in the test test plans then it again becomes complicated because now you are impacting multiple things plus people in the back end who had told you that your previous code is okay with respect to area power and everything now you suddenly change maybe something breaks there so you can't take that chance so that is why as a product gets into the later stages it is very hard to go back and make changes for sure yeah you're doing same thing again and you said about the features mm -hmm. can you maybe give a couple examples is it features that we can understand <laughs> Oh, yeah, I don't think it's <laughs> going to be that straightforward. Yeah, I think it's going like for one again, like it's not really a feature, but let's say like from one product to another product, we PCI Gen 5 
has moved to PCI Gen 6, right? So specific to our block, the feature would be called okay, up uh, increasing the performance. So in making supporting making the architects micro architecture changes to be able to support uh, Gen 6 PCI Gen 6, and then that feature will call out the nitty gritty details of the block itself to tell you what all needs to change. So that's where I think it's going to be hard to give an example which will make sense to the end user or sorry, to people who might listen here. But yeah, I mean, at a high level, let's say a new feature like PCI Gensec comes in, like how do you make sure? Or something like, let's say you need to support virtualization. So virtualization is pretty big these days, right? Like where you need to use virtual memory for your designs. So potentially, so there is this concept of shared virtual memory, which Intel has introduced with, I think either Ice Lake or SPR, one of the two. So, yeah, can we, what is virtual memory? Okay, so at a very high level, virtual memory is like you have like an actual physical memory on your SOC, which is this is the amount of memory that you have. But virtual memory gives you the illusion that there is a lot more memory available than what is there. So you have a hypervisor, which is called like a virtual machine monitor, which is running. And you can run a bunch of virtual machines on top of one chip because whatever chips are eventually there is an operating system which will be running on the chip right so these chips was fine all the intel processor is fine but they'll only make sense if there is a windows or a linux or something which is running on top of it right so virtual uh, memory is basically a concept which allows multiple of these to run on the same physical process and each of them thinks they have access to that memory even though there is only one set of memory present so that's just giving you an example that that's a potential feature and our block will have changes associated. Okay, what do you need to do? Very rarely is it something which will only have to change in one block. Okay, when you have to uh, implement a big feature, there are multiple blocks which have to change. It is just like to our block, it will come as a feature for our block. And obviously the other blocks will also have to change accordingly. Oh, I see, I see. So if on the, if it's like, let's say if it's a, if it's some video card that has like more, I guess they will have same pins, like they have pins on the, mm-hmm. on the, on the PCI motherboard. port. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. And like you have more data there and that's where feature like, Hey, you need to support this data now, basically. Uh, so thing is like, so PCI, let's say there is a gen five. So all of these cards itself, the card, which actually goes is also, that's also another chip, right? Technically that's also something which has been designed. So that is supporting a particular generation so if pci gen 5 goes to pci gen 6 whoever is the that video card itself is going to change and that video card is going to start dumping data at a much faster rate compared to gen 5 so we can have a gen 5 card and a gen 6 card so the same gen 5 card which was working fine on that same if i were to plug a gen 6 card it might not work fine because the gen 6 is now dumping data at a lot more faster rate than what gen 5 was so the feature would be that you now need to support the gen 6 card because your block works fine if i was a gen 5 card but as soon as i put a gen 6 card it doesn't work fine because it has not it was not designed to account for all the changes which went into gen 6. Uh, so about factoring a chip so when you is it how how hard it is to make a chip is it pretty straightforward from that point or no no so once it goes into the foundry 
yeah so again i'm not aware about the details but at a very high level it is an extremely complicated and extremely sensitive process the people who work in fabs because the thing is like that chip is it has a million transistors but it is that small right so you have to be super super careful about not there should not be a single piece of dust or anything which can enter that chip because a dust can basically break the chip it might change the functionality of a particular transistor which will basically break the whole chip so it is extremely complicated process and it, they are extremely sensitive about people who work in the fabs they actually wear something like a space suit so yeah, to ensure the, that uh, yeah yeah and even the whole environment there right even like we as intel employees cannot enter that because that is completely restricted only the people who are working on the fabrication of those they can work on it and yeah so to answer your question it's an extremely complicated the thing is a lot of it is automated so it's not like a lot of manual effort like most of the things are done by tools and all but you need to make sure that everything is completely clean and like there is no contamination of any sort which happens there so that way but outside of that i'm not aware about the details but all i know is like it's a complicated process which is very very sensitive as far as like contamination and other things mm-hmm. and do you maybe know how is it how long does it take to make uh, i assume make first version is yeah so from the time we submit the final database to them it can be anywhere between 8 to 12 weeks not bad and yeah. then when they got it when so imagine they uh, they got it and then they got it's it's all good when they can start production it's just really fast at that point yeah after that it's fast yeah interesting what do you know what takes so much time uh to do first oh no no sorry so you said uh once it takes eight to twelve weeks for the first you are saying that then to produce more no so let's assume we took eight to twelve weeks they produced the first one and then uh, it came it comes out all good so you are ready to now produce it in a bunch so thing is from the database to the chip it is still going to take the same amount of time it is just like the process is a lot more pipelined in that like every day you start feeding into that whole process new database so because you do it every day after the first six weeks every day you are getting a new chip so that way because you started one every day so it's not like the process becomes fast compared to how it was done the first time it takes the same amount of time as it would take the first time i but what takes uh 12 weeks first time do you know oh no like, it's just the, the whole different things like which happen in the foundry which i don't know like the details ah, i see yeah. i see i i also heard that chips that um i don't know if it's just the first one or it's all of them they might have different uh either not voltage but like megahertz you could have different megahertz so they don't don't really know how precise it could be like you don't know exact like it should be 4.3 mega gigahertz or megahertz is it and i heard that it's now not always 4.3 it could be 4.2 it's not really yeah i mean like a bit of variation is there so it's a so they talk about the speed in terms of the clock so most of the design which we do is always measured in respect to a clock and the clock is nothing but the frequency inverse of the frequency of like whatever we expect the processor to work on right so let's say it's 4.3 gigahertz or something so 1 divided by that that's the time period for one 
clock cycle right if you were to talk about it in those terms so because internally that clock is also coming from a clock generator which is again a module so it's i think uh, phase pll's phase lock loops that is one of the key concepts it's analog design which is generally used to generate clocks so that is again because it is something which is generated on hardware you cannot guarantee that it will be exactly that same speed so there is some kind of uh, uh, what do you call margin which is accounted in there but majority of the time it should be in a very small ballpark figure like to what is claimed on the actual uh, specification for that makes sense um how how would you get to like how did you get to that like how did you get here <laughs> to this point like, oh, like where did it all started job? yeah like okay. where it all started do you need a graduate like graduated degree yeah so i i think it started with in my undergrad like uh, i took uh, so there's like i was interested in maths and uh, science those were my interest areas so when it came to selecting my specialization in my undergrad i think the two options were computer science and electronics and communication those were like the two main fields and my dad is also an electronics engineer so he had kind of given me like a little taste of like pcb boards and like just breadboards and connecting some uh, circuits so it seemed fascinating to me see in when you are like just about to enter undergrad like you don't really have that much understanding of what you are at least i did not have that much interest understanding yeah, of like what were my interest areas right like as like everything is interesting i love math that was one thing but outside of that i was like okay everything is fine so at that time it just ended up being electronics was because of probably the uh, exposure i'd had with my dad to like soldering iron just like printing circuit boards so that's where it started so four years of undergrad and then i joined like company freescale semiconductors which is now called nxp so they got bought by this company called nxp so there for two years i was doing the verification side so so far i've been talking about design and i then said that there are people who do verification so then like that's the first time actually so once you go into the industry right because in the undergrad a lot of it the undergrad which i did was theory based so that doesn't really like help you figure out like how the practical applications are right so even though we've done theory that's just one aspect so when i went into the industry those two years where i worked at a free scale now nxp i got a bit of an idea okay this is what the whole chip design process involves and and the thing is like because i had a degree in electronics is why i got hired into nxp so if it was computer science because nxp is like an intel or an amd who do chips they do most of the chips for automobiles so most of the chips i think in all the cars like controlling your navigation system or your temperature yeah. sensor those kind of things right nxp does a lot of those so so it's another form of chip design only right so even though it's not uh, designed for uh, laptops it is still chip design so the concepts remain the same so that's when i got fascinated by it and thought it would be a good idea to actually explore it in like further studies so that's when i came 2000 so 2007 to 9 for 2 years i worked at nxp so 2009 to 11 i came to the us that's when i came to the us in 2009 i did my masters at virginia tech and that was 
in a field again it's uh, my masters was in computer engineering which is again like uh, it was uh, advanced knowledge of what i had already studied in uh, my undergrad and that time i could trace it a bit more because i had worked in the industry for 2 years so it all made a lot more sense compared to when i was studying because there was at least i would say 10 to 20% overlap with the courses i had already taken in the undergrad but even the ones which i was kind of studying again right they were making more sense because i had worked in the industry so and that's when i kind of so by the time i finished my masters and i did some research on fpgas and that's maybe a topic for another day like just like what do fpgas do <laughs> and all but uh, and that's when i got an idea okay this is something which interests me like just the whole concept and there is a lot to learn about different aspects of the chip design so when i joined intel in 2011 i was actually not doing design at that time i was actually so <laughs> again like without digressing too much so when we are doing design right so apart from just like doing simple verification there are a bunch of other tools you need to run to make sure that your design is actually ready for the back end part Fun- verification is one part but mostly verification just verifies whether the front whether whatever you are giving as an input you are getting the expected output that's all verification does but there are a lot of other aspects which a bunch of other tools help us catch okay and there is a big uh, it's a it's a big industry in itself like which is called eda tools which is designing all the tools which are used by both the front end and the back end designers and there are primarily three companies which do that synopsis cadence and mentor graphics and i think mentor graphics has now been bought by siemens so i think it's now siemens but these are the three main companies who do designs of tools which are used by pretty much everyone so pretty much every design company whether it is nvidia or qualcomm or apple or intel they all use tools by one of these three companies synopsis cadence or mentor graphics so the first four or five years of my uh, job at intel i was actually working with these tools trying to understand how these tools work and i was actually not doing design i was helping the designers verify whether their design works fine by running those tools and then like after four or five years i kind of got an idea okay this is what the tools do and with tools you kind of have limited learning because once you understand the tool fully there is not that much more to do right because the tool capability is like there are only certain things a tool does and that's when i decided to move into a design kind of role it's like okay i understand like from a tool perspective what and it's also helpful that because i was looking at designs without actually doing designs so i kind of got to feel okay these are the things which a design sh- designer should take care of if he wants a good design for the back end and that's when i decided okay like design is something that interests me so yeah for the last 2 to 3 years i've been doing design so that's my story kind of i think so i would say it started with uh, kind of my dad's influence a little bit and choosing undergrad in electronics and communication which translated into my job at nxp and then like from there me doing a graduation in a similar field and so forth so when you when you were uh, not doing design and when you decided to start doing design did you knew, did you uh, need to do some uh courses or uh, not really i think uh, uh the fact that i had been working with design for a few years in my other role even though i was not doing design i was verifying designs in a different way right i was like running all these tools on design so uh, 
I think uh, that kind of prepped me. So I didn't have to do any courses uh, because the basics of like system Verilog, the language itself, I was aware about from before. So that's that's I knew like even entering into uh, like my first job at Intel, I already knew system Verilog. So that's like one of the key aspects of the design thing. I think the main skill you need is just trying to picture the whole like your block and like trying to understand like what exactly you're trying to code right because as i was saying coding is one thing making it functionally correct is another thing and then back end going is the third thing but just like in your block if i write the code this way because you can't always rely on okay verification will catch any issue with my code you need to think twice to see like okay because sometimes you can write code in a way that it becomes super hard to catch a bug but eventually the customer reports a bug right so that that's not something which doesn't reflects well on you and you can't just go blame then oh okay the verification should have caught it that's not like the sign of a good designer so i would say i think so some of it they're just looking at the way the code was when i was dealing with the tools but some of it you just have to learn on the job i mean like you can't be a good designer day one you learn i mean like you work with designs you see like the kind of issues you are expo you are uh, uh, are getting introduced when you code and then you learn from that and become a better designer so yeah, that's what I would say. Like, uh, not really courses, just like the experience I had from like my previous before I was doing a non-design role. Plus, I have grown in this role. Like from the time I started to now, my understanding of the design is a lot more different. So. Mm -hmm. Of course, yes, it changes. Uh, for for me, I'm doing much simpler job than you. In but even for me, the design uh, understanding of design were changing like every year, really. So it is something that you gain with experience. And the, the language you had, did you learn language? Uh, like the language is the main main thing that you need to know? Oh, to no, no. In fact, I would say the language is one of the, uh, yeah, it's, it's, I think language anyone can learn in a few weeks, right? It's just about the syntax. I don't think it's the language. I think it is the, what you want to code, right? Like, uh, so coding is just one aspect okay yeah you will code this and this is the result but the understanding of the block and whatever changes you are making how that changes the whole flow of the traffic in the block i think that is i think the key thing as a designer and then also the implications of what you are doing on to whether the back end is going to see issues because of it so i think that i would say is one of the major aspects is making sure that you don't do code which makes it impossible for the back end to do anything but the fundamental thing is just like understanding the complexity and the functionality of your blog because the blog which I'm working on is one of the more complicated ones within our SOC. So the idea that how that block works and any change you make, whether it is a bug fix or whether it's a design feature you are coding, how that impacts like whatever was coming, what was being done before and whether you are changing anything with respect to how it's being done now. So I think the language is like a very, very small aspect. I think the understanding of the design, thinking of it from a hardware perspective, not just thinking, okay, I can code anything and just make sure that it works. Think of it from a hardware perspective and then also thinking of it from a backend perspective. I think those are some of the key challenges. There. You, you talk about this and how you decided to, you, you like design of the chip and can you maybe I'm just curious what do you what what is the most interesting part for you there oh so i think the most interesting part for me is like uh, even though i am like a very very small component in like the whole 
big wheel which is or the whole <laughs> what do you call like the whole uh, 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 what's the, the term I'm looking for I think it's, it's, it's a mini organization in itself which is needed to make one chip and I am like just a very very small component there but it gives me a kick knowing that anything which I code will reflect in the customer seeing an improvement on their side so like actually and if I do something incorrect it could potentially cause like the customer to see a fatal flaw which could intel which could in turn affect intel revenues I mean like it could cause like a delay in like shipping of the product and all so even though as we talked about like the process itself we've talked in detail right the process itself is complicated there are so many different bells and whistles associated pre-silicon post-silicon in spite of all that the part you are working on is something which could potentially impact the customer in a positive or a negative way based on whether you do a good or bad job and plus just the creative aspect of the architect just giving you a problem saying this is what we need to do but to then come up with based on the design because it's not like you can just start from scratch okay this is what is there the architect says do this okay i'll just quote this and this is what is doing you need to make sure that majority of the design is already present in that design how do you fit in this new feature which the architect is requesting without breaking any of the existing functionality making sure that backend is not impacted at the same time doing a quality job i just feel i think all of this is pretty challenging and i like to do challenging work and this is something which and it's going to keep me occupied for a while i think compared to my previous role where i felt like after you understand tools there is not that much more to learn here every time yes, a new yes. feature comes in or like a customer reports an issue and you're looking at something and it doesn't even have to be a new feature right like something on a previous product there was no new feature but the customer is now reporting an issue and sometime an issue can come after one year of the customer having the product because it was fine but suddenly they hit some corner case which you are now seeing an issue so if having to figure out okay what was that what did i do because of which it caused an issue so i just think it's like very challenging to be able to accomplish this and i think that gives me a kick out of it so do you see yourself doing other things like eventually like where the growth you uh, see maybe? yeah so that's a good question so honestly like just looking at uh, people who've been doing this role for a while there are people who can do who've been doing design for like 20 25 years so i've been doing this for like three years right they have been doing it for they retire being a design and obviously i mean like you can get involved in more ways so you could always so right now i'm doing on the non-core aspect right so i'm working on this pci controller design first of all i feel even in my current role there is a lot more to learn i mean like i'm just barely scratched the surface i feel at least for multiple years just in this role itself i have like things to learn but if you were to think of it there are other protocols right memory is another key component so you can always just think you understand enough about pci let's just go learn about memory so that's one thing you can do and obviously you can go learn about the core now the core design is supposed to be the more high most high profile right because as you said most people know core i5 or core i7 that's the core even though there are so many supporting components so that's the core is the glow like the high profile thing and that involves as i was telling you before that is extremely math compute intensive so that comes with a whole other set of challenges okay so where the kind of hardware design you are doing is not necessarily because here i said it's mostly data so you're doing design in a different way and memory would be kind of similar because even there it's more like you're trying to follow the ddr protocol but core suddenly is like a whole different kind so whatever you have learned here 
it might be like okay you're starting from scratch there so even though you understand how you're designing you're designing something which is so completely different that you might learn like a whole new set of things and then finally like if you had to there is obviously the architect role which i talked about right so there are people who have moved into architect from design roles they've learned so much in their design or they've got bored with design and then they move into architect so you're like okay i've had enough of the coding and the execution i want to go and do define the features rather than the one being executing so those are some of the where you can think of it as like if you wanted to expand right now definitely i feel there is enough to learn here so as i said you can always move into a different protocol like a ddr you could do core design or you could move at one level higher like at the architect levels is it limited amount of people who do architecture I mean, it's still a decent amount of it's a decently big team but yeah i mean it's smaller than the design team i would say that compared to the design team it's so it's more. like five ten people no no it's it's bigger than that because there are as i said right there are a lot of different blocks in like an soc so you have you need architect per block so it's not like five or ten oh you have architect per block. or maybe one ar- about, is there and there is an soc architect also who makes sure that okay this is how the blocks will be connected and they all in one team they are all in one team and that's i think more like just how the organization is i think sometimes they break it it's an ip architecture team versus an soc architecture so technically they are two different teams but finally they're all architects so that's i think i never think yeah, yeah it seems like they work in the same yeah yeah, yeah. Same, not same but yeah i think for, for all practical purposes they are the same team but let me put this way in intel them you might see them in two or three different teams <laughs> <laughs> i see Cool. Uh, yeah, I think I think we covered we covered a lot today, yeah, yeah. and I think it, it was we, great. We barely scratched the surface, but yeah, I hope it's for your listeners. I think it's a good, uh, interesting at least start a segue into silicon, right? Maybe uh, just give an idea of what exactly is silicon design all about. <laughs> all right, thank you for listening. Feel free to share this episode and if you have any questions you can contact me on Twitter at Yaosamo. After listening to this you definitely start to see design role in a different angle. See you in the next one. Bye everyone. <laughs>